Well, let's pray. I could really use your prayers in this one tonight, okay? Father, we come to you in Jesus' name through the blood. We thank you. We lift up this time of coming into the Word of God. And we love the Word. Lord, we thank you for your Word. And I pray for every single person that's going to be hearing this, even right now, where people are at. People may hear this live, but they also may hear recording. We ask you that your precious Holy Spirit will just reach out and captivate every one of us and just help us by the Spirit of God to be good, fertile soil for the Word. Lord, that our hearts, our minds are good soil. Lord, we ask by the Holy Spirit to anoint our eyes and ears and touch our eyes so we can have eyes and ears of the Spirit to be able to see, to be able to hear, to be able to understand what the Lord is speaking. And Lord, that you would speak through me your words of life as living seeds of truth sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit that will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, we ask you to let this word be anointed. Let it go out as a hammer that breaks down every stronghold, as a sword that penetrates and gets where it needs to go, as light dispelling all the darkness and lies, the deception of the enemy, and bring truth and revelation knowledge. Let your word go in power, that it will go forth, it will accomplish everything you want it to do. Let there be a washing of the water as you purify your bride, Lord. And I pray that the winds of your spirit will carry this everywhere it needs to go among the nations. It will get where it's supposed to be. And that your mighty angels will watch over it, that it will um, be protected. And we speak, Lord, that Jesus taught us, you know, the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So, Lord, we take authority and we bind up everything in the name of Jesus of the enemy right now that would try to hinder this word in any respect. Try to hinder it being preached, trying to hinder it from getting where it needs to be or hinder people from being able to understand whatever. We bind it in the name of Jesus. Back off and go right now. Lord, let your angels just clear all that away. And that your word will go forth and be planted. It will be fruitful. And we stand on the promise, Lord. It will not return void, but it will accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. We thank you. We bless you. And Lord, I just pray for your grace and wisdom just to speak through me everything that needs to be said, Lord. And help me with this. In Jesus' name, that everything will be the way it needs to be. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it now. Amen. All right. Well, I'm preaching part 12 of uh, Doctrines of Demons. And uh, this is going to be entitled Ancient Boundary Stones. But I'm not only going to be dealing with that, but uh, this might be the last one, but if it's not, um, I'll preach one next week that the Lord's been giving me. But it could continue on in this series or it could stand alone. But we'll just see how I feel the Lord's leading in that. But anyway, we're dealing with Ancient Boundary Stones. Now, this is very interesting. In Proverbs 22:28, the Bible says, Do not move an ancient boundary stone which your fathers have set. As a matter of fact, under the law, uh, you saw under the law of Moses that there was a curse on anybody that moved their neighbor's boundary stone. So, how many of you guys know that God sets up boundaries and he expects us to live within those boundaries? And when people began to try to move boundary stones... They don't realize what they're doing, but they're trying to maybe change something that's a foundational issue that they have absolutely no business changing. And another aspect of this is that the, the convictions and the faith of our fathers in the faith, those that's gone up before us that have laid groundwork, they've set boundaries, and they're desirous for us to live within those boundaries. Okay, So this is kind of an interesting sermon tonight. 
my desire I, I you know put this here but it's it's the truth my desire in this whole series that I've been doing is that the sheep be protected uh, hopefully people have felt that through this sermon series but that is my desire is that people simply be protected from the things that are out there and that there's good healthy boundaries that the Lord has set and that if we will live according to those things we're going to be protected you know the Bible warns that those that break through a hedge will be bit by a serpent you know God has set things in place in a certain way and if we live within that there's a protection but it's when people want to wander off out of that you know it reminds me of the story about the sheep that went astray you know and uh, the shepherd had to leave the 99 to go find the one if that that sheep being off by itself was in danger so God has set some things in place and let me just give you a couple things real quickly in this but I actually did another sermon entitled ancient boundary stones a while back it's on the website for those that want to hear that one we're actually going a lot more detail about this and, but I felt this is all the Lord wanted me to do tonight but here's some boundary stones I feel like the devil is trying to move number one has to do with righteous living I believe that the enemy is working overtime to try to get Christians in a place where they feel comfortable with things that the fathers of our faith would not have felt comfortable with see there's boundary stones you guys know as well as I do that there's something about honoring the fathers and mothers that have gone on before us let me give you some examples maybe saying it a certain way but I wonder in certain churches and I'm gonna stay with churches right now certain churches that have maybe been established for a long time and they've got fathers and mothers of the faith that really sowed financially into that church they prayed there they they uh, had so much to do with the establishment of that church now all these years later maybe they're dead and they've passed on into eternity maybe they're in nursing homes but I wonder sometimes if some of them how they would feel about some of the things that's going on in that church now are some of their boundary stones being moved and are we honoring the fathers and mothers that have gone on before us honoring their convictions honoring their feelings about things does this make sense you know I'm always thinking about that with river of life I know that brother Steve Hill has gone on to be with the Lord and he had a lot to do and I mean a lot to do with this establishing this ministry and uh, he kind of launched me out he really launched out river of life to be honest and I think about the impact that Brownsville had and other revivals in the 90s and you know I live in a way that I'm not just thinking about the here and now but I also think about how would brother Steve and those that's gone on before us, our fathers in the faith how would they feel about certain things you know what I'm saying also think about my parents I think about I wonder how they would feel about certain things see there's boundary stones another thing that I believe that Satan is working overtime to try to move a boundary stone has to do with the level of worldliness that is in entertainment that's crept into the church you, you hear me say a lot about this but I needed to get this in the sermon but you know as well as I do that things aren't like they used to be 
Used to years ago, the church couldn't care less about common trends and, and everything being a certain way that fit into the world and was cool to the world system. And, and, and it was some kind of an entertainment thing and it was trying to be in style. Nobody cared about that. People simply were trying to please the Lord. Some kind of boundary stone has been moved. Also, regarding the gospel, something is trying to definitely attack the gospel and move a boundary stone that has to do with the purity of the gospel, which I dealt with that in this sermon very in depth early on. But I believe that that's quite a serious issue today. So one of the things that has really shocked me, um, I've talked more about this in the past, I don't have time to go in depth, um, but has to do with certain groups that are really embracing Roman Catholicism as part of Christianity. You'd be surprised how many people are doing that, actually. That has really shocked me. And I wonder our fathers of the faith those that's gone on before us that have set a boundary stone are you hearing me i think about martin luther i think about john huss who was murdered by roman catholicism i think about people that that really had to set a boundary stone there and the whole reformation had to do with the gospel it had to do with the gospel of believing in jesus for your salvation alone it was not through works. It was not through the Roman Catholic system. It wasn't through any of that. It was the gospel. And even to this day, Roman Catholicism, to this day, you understand, to this day, this isn't something in the past. Right now, they do not believe the gospel that we believe at all. They believed you're saved through the Catholic Church. And so there's some kind of a boundary stone there that God used men to set couple hundred years ago it's a set stone it has to do with a foundational issue of the gospel that now people are trying to move that stone I think about our Pentecostal heritage a lot of people don't realize that in the days of Azusa Street William Seymour people that were being baptized in the Holy Spirit and God was using the Azusa Street revival to bring back to the body of Christ um, Pentecost once again that had been lost did you know that the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost and that was the birth of the church and since around the Reformation around the 1500s every great advancement has been by the Holy Spirit an outpouring of the Spirit of God as God has moved powerfully by the Spirit to restore back to the church things that the devil has stolen but it's by the Spirit of God these things are happening and I think about our Pentecostal heritage our full gospel spirit-filled heritage that that those that have gone on before us in particular in Susan Street that those early days of revival how much hatred there was toward the Pentecostals that people that were Pentecostal many times there was such a persecution against them they had a difficult time getting a job they, they were you know looked down upon by other um, established uh, religious movements and and so it was something that that they really had to kind of blaze some territory for us they, they had to like a machete had to cut a path for us today and they paid a price 
they were persecuted. And there was a boundary stone that was set. But the sad thing is, I see today, that many people that once had Pentecost, they had a spirit-filled heritage. There was powerful churches. You would hear the groaning and travailing of intercession. You would hear a message in, in tongues interpretation. There may be prophetic words that were uttered now. It's like because of trying to fit into some society of, uh, you know, seeker-friendly and everybody's comfortable with everything and they try to relegate the Holy Spirit to some back room and they're, listen, they are dishonoring and disrespecting the Holy Spirit. But they're moving an ancient boundary stone. I think about the Hebrew roots. I think about our foundation that was laid that many years ago, the early church for 300 years had everything came out of the Hebrew roots. Everything was about that established um, uh, heritage that we have. And then here comes Constantine, Roman Catholicism, doing everything they could to sever those roots and replace it with Roman Catholicism. And to this day, the Holy Spirit is moving to re restore that and reestablish that, but again, that's an ancient boundary stone that the devil moved. And because of this, I also think about properly understanding eschatology, which is just the end times, the study of the end times. I see today that there's a lot of mocking about certain end time beliefs. There's a lot of persecution against things like teaching about the rapture, etc. But what you're seeing is, is very foundational issues that in the last 20 years have been very attacked. I'm telling you, back in the 90s, it wasn't like this. But it's in the last 20 years that certain foundational truths have been attacked. And some kind of a spirit is trying to move boundary stones. Regarding sound doctrine, now there's people, and through this series, I've taught enough that I think that you know where I'm coming from. I've read some of the things that teachers are teaching out there. Hopefully everybody's heard these sermons because you need to know them for the days ahead. But I read how different teachings that are going on out there that are denying the faith in many ways. But there's an ancient boundary stone of sound doctrine that Satan is trying to move. You know, it's interesting, even in America, in a secular sense, you can see, now this is moving out of the church world into the secular, but I do believe that it is a valid point, that our founding fathers in America spent time writing out a constitution. These were God-fearing men. There's actually a painting that Steve Hill kind of made popular that of our founding fathers really praying, having a prayer meeting in these times, but they, they were men of prayer. They were men that were um, God-fearing, like I said. They, they honored the Bible, and they took time to write out a constitution as to a way to establish what we have today. And they had understood that not only studying history, but what they had seen back in England and, and through Roman Catholicism, they understood that there needed to be a healthy separation between the secular government and the church world where the secular government was not going to be controlling the church. But what do you see in today? You're seeing a movement of the devil 
And let me tell you, you talk about an antichrist spirit. I mean a vile antichrist spirit that's behind liberalism. And that foul spirit is trying to do what? Move that ancient boundary stone. Now I'll tell you something else I'm going to get into tonight. I'm going to talk about infiltrators. And this is going to be a little bit interesting to you guys. Those that have never heard this before. But before we get into that, just think about what I said tonight. The, my heart in this whole series has just simply been that people be protected. There's a lot of strange things that are going on. We know that deception, the Bible predicted deception would be rampant in the last days. We see a lot of that on many levels. But... God has is, is established these boundaries. He's wanting us to live a protected life. But many of these boundary stones are being moved. And that's where you're even seeing godly convictions about things like alcohol or, or other issues. These godly convictions of our fathers of the faith that, that really honored the word of God and they set some boundaries there to try to protect the church. But these are being challenged today. And I think everybody here can see that the moving of these boundary stones has not been positive. The result of it has not been a positive thing at all. One of the ways that we're going to be protected is by having very pure motives. You know, I sent this to you guys, but there was a prophetic man that um, I'm friends with him on, on social media. And anyway, he was saying that somebody had contacted him i'm not going to read all of it or anything but somebody had contacted him to ask him to come to a prophetic conference because he has somewhat of a, a prophetic ministry you know but the guy that was asking him to come in a roundabout way was saying you know i'm troubled and very concerned about your message that you're preaching a message of holiness and and repentance and that people in your meetings are convicted and they're weeping and they they're made you know like they need to repent and all that and his response is was that a bad thing and the guy said well this is very revealing he said well it is whenever we're trying to sell tickets and his response was well in a roundabout way if you're asking me to not preach holiness and repentance then forget it because I have to obey God and preach what God has told me to preach. But see, one of the main ways that we're going to be able to not be deceived in any area is by having really pure motives. Motives are a big deal to God. And see, this individual, that person that was asking him to come, responded to him and said, well, you're going to be losing a lot of your um, notoriety nationally because people are talking about you that that you preach that way and, and you know just trying to get him to get away from that message but whenever you have pure motives of the heart that you're just living to please the Lord then you're not going to be controlled by man you're not going to be intimidated by man you're not going to be preaching or prophesying for money you're not going to be doing it to get you know butts in the seat you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's, there's a purity about what you're doing. And you don't really care at the end of the day what people say because there's going to be people that love you and hate you. But you're doing it to please the Lord. 
So God is wanting us to be doing the right thing, but for the right reasons. That's, a, that's very important. And in these latter days, we need to be believing God for his glory in our midst. Those that are willing to be persecuted for the truth, those that are willing to take a stand for righteousness and holiness and are going to get back to biblical Christianity, God is going to be bringing his glory among his people in these latter days in an awesome, awesome way. And we need that glory. But there's an apostate harlot church that's out there and they're going to continue to gain members and these are people as i've said throughout this series they do not require a new birth they do not preach or believe in repenting of sin and they do not adhere to the bible as being the infallible word of god they are an apostate church and they have a strange message they are going to be very socially acceptable in these last days. They're very comfortable with abortion. They're very comfortable with worldliness and entertainment in the church and sexual perversions, etc. And it's a very socially acceptable, politically correct thing. And that right there is going to be what the false prophet and the Antichrist connect to. And that will be viewed in many ways in the latter days by many people as being the true church. And the actual true church, the remnant of God, will be viewed as some kind of a sect or some kind of a cult, as an intolerant hate group. And we're going to have to be willing to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ and for the truth. And even though that, that means that there's going to be persecution... But what God's going to do is, is he's going to bring his glory in ever-increasing measure back to his people. And when the children of Israel were going through the wilderness, the glory of God was with them. And many of you have read about the account, but I don't know if you really paid attention to this. But when Israel was standing at the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army was coming up behind them, and they began to be afraid, and Moses began to lift his rod, and the waters began to part, but what happened? The Bible says that the glory of God that was in front of them, like a pillar of fire, like a cloud, that glory moved from in front of them and went behind them and got in between them and their enemies. And it stayed there throughout the night. And the Bible also says that the angel that was in front of them, he went back where that glory was and stood there as a guardian. And so God's true remnant, as we're living pure and we're a bride that's being made ready for his coming, God is going to release his glory. And his glory, just like Israel when they were in the wilderness, it was a challenging time. But as Israel was going through the wilderness, that glory that was with them protected them. They had supernatural victory over enemies. That glory that was with them brought supernatural provision when they needed water when they needed food the glory of god was in their midst that glory in their midst caused that their clothing did not wear out that glory that was there was there to protect them and was there to provide for them it was a comfort 
And I believe that that is what God is going to do in these latter days like never before. His glory is going to increase among his people. And also I believe that God is going to send powerful angels to watch over his true remnant in these latter days. But we need to be about the things of God. We're not about our own little kingdom. We're not about our, our name and our fame. We're about connecting with what God's doing in these latter days. So what is God doing? The Bible says that he's reaping the harvest. The Bible says that he's pouring out his spirit on all flesh. And the Bible says he's getting a bride ready for his coming. I believe if we'll be in on that, we're going to be right in the middle of what God's doing. But something is about to change. We had a time starting in the mid-80s where God began to pour out his spirit in the Argentine revival. And it was an amazing move of God. Many don't know a lot about it now, but I mean, whole city, whole regions were, were being impacted. It was a major move of God. But it started in Argentina, and it was like this big tsunami wave that began to, to sweep through Canada, Toronto, into the Americas. And there were many other places actually around the world during that time that were seeing an outpouring. It was like one big wave. You know, many times when a wave comes in, you remember when John Davis was here, he was talking about that. When a wave comes in and then it recedes back, you know, you see a lot of the junk there, don't you? Well, that wave has receded back and we're seeing a whole lot of junk. But the thing is, there's about to be a bigger wave that's coming. Are y'all hearing me? There's about to be another major wave that's going to hit and we need to be right in the middle of what's about to come. And I remember even years ago, back in the 80s, that Rick Joyner wrote a book called The Harvest. And he saw back then there was a wave coming. But he said that the first wave would be small compared to the next one. And this first wave would, there'd be a lot of people saved, but there would also be a lot of those that got saved would be used in the next wave. So it was like a preparatory thing. And then he saw that there was a major tsunami wave that came after that one. That right there is about to hit. So we need to be spiritually sharp. And so here's a couple things. Acts 17 verse 10. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Now they had just left um, Thessalonica, I believe, and they were really persecuted there. And so they waited till it was night to send them on their way. You know what I'm saying? There was a lot of persecution. On arriving in Berea, they went first to the Jewish synagogue, and the Berean Jews were more, of more noble character than those of Thessalonica. What does the Bible say? They received Paul's message with great eagerness. And they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. You know, in a healthy way, God is wanting us, you know, first off to be hungry and to be eager and to not sit back with your arms folded and you're real critical and suspicious of everything and judgmental and negative. God doesn't want that. God doesn't want people back there with arms folded. They're like, you know, I'll just, I'm not going to believe anything you say and have some attitude like that. The Bereans were open to what God was saying. 
even though the message might have been, obviously it was new to them, but even though they were humble and they were open to what Paul was saying, they still examined the scriptures just to make sure. And what does the Bible say? As a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and men, but it says the Bereans were of noble character. So to this day, the way the Bible presents these people that were humble and they were open to the word of God being taught to them, they were teachable. How many knows humble is teachable? They were humble and teachable, but they didn't just blindly swallow everything either. They examined the scriptures along with what was being preached to make sure that it was in fact the truth. That right there is what we need to do. Don't just blindly swallow everything. And I even talked about through this series about prophecy. The Bible says to test all prophecy. Not to despise it. We love prophecy. But to test it and make sure that it is in fact the word of God. Because there's times that things can be very true, but it's a wrong spirit. And then 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So you have here not only the word of God being examined to make sure that everything is true, but you also have here a fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the word fellowship is koinonia, and it implies like an intimate relationship. It, it grieves me. How many people out there, I believe, in Christianity that, do, that have absolutely no relationship with the Holy Spirit? They don't even know that there's such a thing available. It's never preached. But we need to know the word, but we also need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. So let me say here as we get into that about the Holy Spirit for a few minutes. The Holy Spirit, he is the one who will help bring revelation knowledge. He's the one as you get to know him and spend time in the presence of the Holy Spirit. He will help guard you from deception. We need to know the Holy Spirit. And every day when I pray, every day, and I spend time in prayer every day, I believe that Christians need to do that. I don't believe it's just a suggestion. I believe that people need to do it. You understand what I'm saying? And as I spend time with the Lord every day, I spend time in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and he will show me things. He'll show me things out of his word, and he'll speak to me about things. And that right there is what we need. We need the word of God, but we also need that relationship with the Holy Spirit, and we need a strong prayer life. So in a healthy way, I'm about to talk about infiltration here in a moment, but in a healthy way, God wants me and you to question things and test things. Not in a bratty way, not in a prideful way, not in a critical way, like a lot of people do out there. Not like that. That is not the fruit of the Spirit. That's not humble, it's prideful. But I'm talking about in a humble, teachable way that you sincerely just want to make sure that things are really of God or not. I believe that that right there is what we need to be doing. And number two, to pray in the Spirit. I mean, you guys are praying in the Spirit. 
I'm telling you, every day, we need to have some time where the Holy Spirit is praying through us in tongues. Praying through us, it's, it's such a powerful thing. You know, it's interesting to me that in Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible gives us this teaching. And let me say about the Ephesian church, you know, um, when Paul went through Ephesus, the, the second time he went through there, there was a great revival. Acts chapter 19 records it. And this church was birthed in the fires of revival. But because of that, there was severe spiritual warfare against the Ephesian church. And so Paul was writing them. And so what does he write about? He writes about spiritual warfare to them so they can overcome. He talks about wickedness in the heavenlies. He talks about putting on the full armor of God. But interesting to me that as he goes through the armor of God, which we all know about, the last thing he says in that is, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Because see, Paul understood that when you pray in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is praying through you the perfect will of God. And so that means things that maybe could have been negative that would have happened to you or your family because you were praying in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit prayed through you and it blocked it and it never happened. It could be revelation knowledge. But I'm just telling you from experience over many years that we need to be praying in the Spirit on all occasions, just like the Bible says. And also to have the discipline to die to our flesh and have a prayer life. It's, it's vital in these latter days that we stay sharp in our discernment and be like the Bereans and examine everything in the light of God's Word and know the Holy Spirit. All right. You guys with me tonight? So, I may continue this next week and give one more sermon along these lines of doctrines of demons, but I feel that this is very important because of the day that we live. How many of you guys can say honestly, not because I've been saying things up here, but you can honestly agree with me that you, you yourself have seen a lot of deception out there? Okay. This is the day we're living. And so I'm telling you to stay sharp spiritually. This is not a time to be getting out of prayer. This is a time to be praying. This isn't a time to be getting out of the Word. This is a time to be in the Word. This isn't a time to be getting out of church like a lot of people are doing. The Bible says to not forsake the assembling ourselves together. And what does it say? I believe it's prophetic. All the more as you see the day approaching. It's implying all the more in the last days. It's in a time to begin our church. All right. We need to stay spiritually razor sharp. Now I'm going to talk about something. This is in my wife and I's book, Transformation. Now some of you may already be familiar with this, but surprisingly, you probably, as this goes out, you know, on the internet, there's a lot of Christians that have probably never one time heard a sermon on this in their life some of them been in church maybe their whole life and never heard it once and i'm going to talk about infiltration i'm going to talk about those that that come in among god's people and pretend to be christians now let me open this up by saying that my wife and i personally know a lady that she got saved you've heard me talk about this lady she got saved under, because of my wife's testimony she was raised in satanism and, I mean, her whole family was deeply involved in it. As a matter of fact, when she came to know Jesus as her Savior, 
the only reason she did it was because she heard my wife's testimony. And the reason I say that is because she made it very clear to us that she believed that, that she could not be saved, number one, because both of her mother and father were Satanists, and they were taught that if you were like a pure blood, you couldn't be saved, that Jesus wouldn't accept you, number one. But number two, she was very much afraid for her life because they threatened her, and they meant it. They weren't joking. And so when she came to know Jesus, she was actually very afraid still that they would make good on their threats. Now, don't you understand the situation? These are not, because a lot of times when people talk about Satanists, they think that there's some kind of weirdos off somewhere that are high on drugs and, and are just criminals and just psychos, right? That's what most people think. This is not the case. The people that were involved in her group she was in one of them, I mean, in the small group that they were in directly, one of them was a police officer. Another one was a doctor in the city who would perform off the books, off the record things um, in the way of child sacrifice, things like that. These were people that were known in the community that had money and they had a very positive you know, reputation among the community. She herself, as a practicing Satanist, worked in CPS. And that she, was, she felt she was placed there to dictate where children would be placed. She also regularly attended a local Christian church all the time. She went there every service, and everybody there just simply believed she was a Christian. Nobody ever questioned it. The whole time she was there, she was a practicing Satanist. And she was there to infiltrate the church. And if they ever started to do something for God, to cause problems and prevent them from being able to really be effective for the Lord. That's why she was there. And she told us after accepting Christ, she was very grieved about all of this, obviously. But she was telling us that that was her assignment. Now, I'm not going to get into other things. She also did other things that I'd... If she was here, I'd let her tell it, but I'm not going to go there. But this is getting the point across. That these, this is not all that uncommon. This is a city that's not, but maybe about 60 miles from here. All right. So, the devil has always wanted to try to infiltrate. I believe also that that was what the devil wanted to do through Roman Catholicism. What he did was, for the time that he, he had those 10 Roman emperors from Nero to Diocletian, for about 300 years, the church was being persecuted, violently persecuted. Nero started it. Nero was the emperor that was in power, came to power toward the end of Paul's life. And Nero started this, but it continued for 10 emperors. They, they were taking Christians and dipping them in oil and they would have them bound up on the streets and would use them, burning them alive, would use them to light the streets. They were, the Roman soldiers would bust in the homes and just slaughter families. They were capturing Christians and taking them to the Colosseum and openly feeding them to wild animals. It was like a sporting event. Everybody would come and cheer. This was going on for 300 years. So there wasn't any fake Christians like there are today. 
You understand what I'm saying? I mean, you, you, you had to be the real deal. It wasn't like some culturally acceptable thing. And it's like that in parts of the Middle East. Nobody in their right mind would pretend to be a Christian or be some kind of hypocritical person that professed Christianity but their life was, you know, totally ungodly. They would never do that because it could cost them their life to do so. And so this lady that came to know Jesus through my wife's story, she was very sincere about it because she really felt that her life was in danger. Now, what the devil did, though, after 300 years of just pounding the church, I mean, trying to kill every one of them, trying to snuff it out and destroy it, every time he'd kill one, it's like three others would pop up. And the devil got tired of that. So he decided to change his MO. So what he did was, it was through Constantine as a Roman emperor who claimed to have some kind of a vision in the sky. And then while, they understand, while he was still going to pagan temples and offering up sacrifices and worshiping those Roman gods, while, while he's doing that, now he's making Christianity socially acceptable. He's taking away the persecution which i understand that the christians were happy to no longer be persecuted like that i would be too but also the christians began to get very concerned though because constantine began to kind of try to take over christianity and set himself up as like the first pope and he began to appoint his old cronies to positions of power and everything under him began to take a radical turn which i don't have time to talk about but now, instead of the devil pounding the church, just trying to just snuff it out and destroy it, he says it's not working. After 300 years, I'm going to have to try something else. So now he tries to infiltrate and pervert it and bring in a counterfeit hybrid form of Christianity that requires no new birth, no repentance of sin, and there's not an adherence at that time to the doctrine of of the apostles you understand what I'm saying these are people that were beginning to infiltrate the church that through the week maybe go to a pagan temple and offer up worship to their demon gods but then come to Constantine's Roman Catholicism and also offer up some kind of worship to that God too Satan was trying now to pervert everything distort things bring idolatry and paganism into the church and he figured well if i can't destroy it then i'll pervert it and it reminds me of the story of balaam you remember how balak hired him to come in and curse israel and balaam got up on a hill and saw him and he, he instead of cursing him, he blessed him three times and balak lost his temper but here's the, the end of the story a direct attack against witchcraft would not prevail. So what did Balaam teach Balak to do? He said, we can't hurt him like this. So he taught him to get the beautiful Midianite Moabite women and seduce them into sin. And as that happened, it would bring God's judgment, and it did. It's the same tactic. All right, so let me go into this. I'm going to give you two true stories. 
That should be a warning to all of us. Number one, let me just read this. This is out of our book. Um, these are other people telling these stories. It's not my wife and I. But I felt that these two stories were the ones we needed to share. Here's the first one. The single most important goal of Satanists is to knock prayer out of a church. Did you know that? They don't have a hard job in a lot of places. There are so many scriptures about prayer that we could not begin to list them all, but a strong church is a praying church. Amen? Prayer requires self-discipline, and unfortunately, the majority of Christians spend very little time in prayer. And this person that's telling this story says, let me give you a true story of how Satanists destroyed the power of a very powerful church in which um, this lady telling the story says that she was delivered. She said her and her friend were brokenhearted over what happened, but here it is. Shortly after her deliverance, she got saved out of Satanism, okay? Shortly after she got delivered from all these demonic spirits and all that stuff that was going on in her life, she was attending a powerful church. And she said her and her friend were horrified to see that the high priest of a large and powerful coven in the city in which our home was located started to attend this church. She said, I personally knew this man and his family while I was still in Satanism. He personally threatened her and her friend on more than one occasion. So this isn't like some guess. I mean, she knew this person. So she said within two short years, he and his co-workers completely destroyed this wonderful and powerful church. Many times her friend and her pled in tears with the leaders to stop what was happening within the church, but they wouldn't listen. We could not accuse, and they call this man Roy. It's not his real name. We could not accuse Roy of being a Satanist because it was our word against his, and he would just deny it. But we did try to show the leaders and a couple of the elders on more than one occasion that the fruit that was in his life was not scriptural. And here is how he did this. So he came in as an infiltrator pretending to be a Christian. Did Jesus warn about this in the scriptures? I believe he did. Jesus said that there would be wolves in sheep's clothing. So a wolf still has the nature of the wolf. You see, when you become a true Christian, you're, you're a different, you're a new creation. You're born of God. I mean, you're totally different. See, a wolf, I remember laughing sometimes because my wife and I have had different pets, you know, and we've got birds right now and, and a couple dogs, but we used to have cats. And I used to laugh because even though sometimes these a cat and a dog will play together and they'll do certain things that mimic one another still. What are they going to do? The cat's going to go back to licking its hand and acting like a cat. At the end of the day, even if it hangs around dogs all day, it's still got that nature in it. And I just sit back and chuckle. I mean, animals are hilarious to watch. You guys know what I'm talking about. But see that, that nature of the wolf that's there. Unregenerate. All right. Now listen to this because I believe there's some key things here. She goes on to say, Roy was a very wealthy man. He joined the church shortly after attending it. He claimed to be well-grounded and knowledgeable in the scriptures, which he was. He contributed large sums of money to the church. He attended every meeting and activity, and he joined the choir. Singing Satanists on the platform, right? <laughs> 
Oh, God help us. At that time, she said, the church was extremely powerful in prayer. They had Wednesday night prayer meetings. Every week, two to 300 people attended the prayer meeting. They prayed as a unified body. They said, we had prayer meetings that were so powerful, and the power of the Holy Spirit was moving so strong that it literally shook the building. Y'all remember reading about that in the book of Acts? That happened. She said, these people were serious about prayer. So what's the number one goal of these Satanists infiltrating? Get prayer out of the church. So then, as would be expected, the church, because of all this powerful prayer, began to experience tremendous growth. His membership grew from 300 to 1,000 in just a year. This is a dangerous time for any church because the pastor and the leaders don't know everybody personally. They built an addition onto the church and the church kept growing rapidly. Everyone thought they were being richly blessed, and they were. But some of the newcomers coming in were Satanists that knew that Roy guy. So now you have a mix in the congregation. Less than six months after joining the church, Roy stepped up and told the church that God put on his heart to pray for America. He said that God wanted the men of the church to start coming once a week at noon to spend an hour in prayer for our country. He was willing to lead the group. Everybody thought this was wonderful. And Roy was much looked up to within the church. Guys, there's got to be some discernment here. Why is everybody looking up to this guy? Why isn't somebody discerning this guy? You see what I'm saying? Something's off. Um, within a couple months, he was made an elder. Shortly after that, he elected to the board of directors. How did he worm his way in? After four months of establishing the Pray for America group, he launched his next two-pronged attack. He and his wife and about 20 choir members tearfully told the choir leader they must stop attending choir because it took up so much of their time from their families. They claimed it was too much of a burden to attend Wednesday night prayer meeting and go to the choir practices. Needless to say, it didn't take long for the choir director to go to the elders about having choir practice during the prayer meeting. What's the number one goal? Get prayer out of the church. Of course, having their own practice during that time, the elders agreed. Um, the 20 members rejoined the choir. The first attack was successful because the choir was large, a significant portion of the church, and the members were now neither praying nor benefiting from those powerful prayer meetings. Much of the church members began to wonder if those prayer meetings were that important after all. So prayer began to wane. Now we all know that a praying Christian is a powerful Christian. We know that a praying church is a powerful church and the devil knows it too. So after a month, the victory in the choir, Roy attacked at a meeting both the elders and the board of directors, Roy told them that because of the fast rate of growth in the church, not enough time was being spent on individual discipleship. He said the Sunday schools just couldn't do it. So he pointed out the fact that people didn't know each other and there needed to be these small groups. Okay? But his solution to the problem was to stop the large unified prayer group altogether, completely and to split everyone up into small discipleship groups where they could be individually taught how to grow and evangelize and to get to know each other. The pastors and everybody just swallowed the bait. The prayer meeting was completely done away with altogether. Small discipleship groups formed. Of course, Roy was put in charge of forming the groups. So who do you think he put in charge of them? All of his friends. 
which he did and they said that the groups now were led mostly by these these satanists the power and the prayer of the church was destroyed she said her friend and her went to the pastor some of the elders in tears asking them to please um, not let this happen they refused to listen but anyway the point after all this was that many of the strong christians in the church left after this they they began to feel something in their spirit was off and all the powerful christians left within a year the church was in total shambles the pastor got discouraged and left the older stronger members all left the power of the church was totally gone isn't that something that's a true story and it grieves me that these type of things happen but I know that they do and to this day a lot of those people that were in that church probably really have no idea unless they heard this story that these people were actually Satanists that were going in there on purpose to deliberately try to ruin that church it was an assignment again we talk more about that in our book but there's a eight-point attack that these try to do and their goal is is number one to get rid of prayer but these type of people want to worm their way in to be in positions to teach and also be in positions to pray for people in the altars which leads me to story number two now I'm gonna close with this but I just want y'all to be aware of these things happen and not everybody remember this not everybody that comes to a church door is a Christian even if they're not something like a devil worshiper they could still be some heathen or a troublemaker they could just be a Jezebel or whatever but not everybody that comes to a church door needs to remain but we've got to have some discernment all right now the next story I believe in impartation um, Romans 1 was it 17 Paul said I long to be with you that I might impart to you a spiritual gift to make you strong and I know from my personal experience that when I was younger I went to Brownsville and I saw my friends go to Brownsville let me say this leading up to this story I saw my friends go to Brownsville and I knew how goofy they were and I was just as goofy as them okay we were all goofy but I saw them come back totally transformed I saw them go somewhere for a few days or a week or whatever and when they came back they were different they were hungry for God they were on fire they were totally different I saw it with my eyes so I knew that something significant was going on there because and you know we were um, at the time I was going to a Bible school and we had some pretty good chapel meetings things like that but this was totally different there was something really happening here and so I began to be hungry just seeing what was going on in them and I, I remember going in 96 I was um, pretty young I was about 20 years old I remember going and I just went there open and hungry for whatever God had for me and I remember that as the worship was going you could feel the presence of God and I remember as Steve gave the altar call I told you about it I mean you really felt like you need to go get saved all over again and I remember that they had people that were on the prayer team praying for people I went down just humble and open to get prayer and somebody prayed for me I still to this day don't remember who it was just one of the altar workers but I remember just being thrown in the air laying on my back and being baptized in fire and the Bible says I will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire and let me tell you that a fire came into my life of being hungry in love with Jesus 
hungry for the word of God, hungry to have a prayer life, hungry to be witnessing. I was totally different. There was a fire came into my life. And so I know that there is a real in this area that sadly a lot of people out there have never experienced. They don't go somewhere where God's really moving. And that's very sad. But anyway, Satan counterfeits everything. And so he also wants to sow some tares among the wheat and create some issues. But one of the things I later learned about at Brownsville was that they knew that not everybody coming into that place needed to be praying for people. They said from the pulpit openly that there were people that would come to those meetings like some witches from New Orleans would come in and they'd sit back there, you know, shaking some rattles and trying to put a curse on the church and stuff. And they knew that was going on. There was one story of a guy, though, that came there and he was a, he was a, his, the guy that was mentoring him was a shaman. And so he was being mentored in the dark arts and he came there and he was sitting outside and he was trying to circulate something to curse the church. So he's sitting out there doing his mumbo jumbo in the church, um, you know, in the grass right there in front of the door off to the side where nobody could see him. He said nothing would work. And so he went inside. Of course, he had no intention of, of ever giving his life to the Lord. He was there to try to damage what was going on. He was against it. But I heard him give his testimony at the revival. And the only seats, I guess, that were open were down in the front or something. Somebody had given him seats, so they, some, some leaders took him down and set him down. And this is what he said, and I heard him say it myself, okay? He was saying, as I believe it's Bert Kilpatrick, was, had the mic on like this as he was talking, but the young man said, you know, he said that he started giving an altar call. And he said, to be honest, I couldn't move. And he said, I didn't have intentions in my heart to go down anyway. But he said, as God is my witness, he said, I felt something. And he looked and nobody was there. I believe it was an angel picked him up under his armpits and dropped him in the altar up there and he said when he got there he began to weep and he gave his life to Jesus and now he got delivered from some demons there and now he was going into Bible school at BRSM isn't that something so they knew that there was some weirdos that was coming to the meetings you know and they knew that not everybody needed to be praying for everybody. Common sense, wisdom, biblical, stuff like that. I don't understand the free-for-alls I see out there, but that's, you know, it is what it is. So, and I remember also Rodney Howard Brown. He began to see some powerful moves of God. And early on, he was at uh, a church in Lakeland with uh, Carl Strader, I believe. Um, and I think it was Carpenter's House. I, I don't really remember all the details about the name and all that. But anyway, it was a powerful move of God that was extended for a long time. And while the Holy Spirit was moving so powerful, there was people that were coming in there. And somebody was telling Brother Rodney, hey, look, man, there's some witches that are sneaking in here trying to pray for people. So Rodney got up in front of everybody and said, that's it. There's no more free-for-all. Everybody praying for everybody. He said, me and my wife are going to be the ones doing the praying. And to this day, he does that. And that's why. That's where it all came from. He shut down any of that and stopped it right there. So I remember at Brownsville, I remember Brother Kilpatrick saying, look, we have a, a screening process. 
we have to get to know people if they don't have a badge and they would announce this at the beginning don't have them pray for you we don't know them and they're not authorized to do so he said the people that have badges we know them we've examined them we know their life and we know you're safe with them praying for you and they would say that every service so I want to give a prelude before I get into this all right now I'm just going to read this part about an evil impartation this is the devil's counterfeit and an attack all right let me just read it just as there can be impartations of anointings and mantles things like that there can be an evil impartation um let me skip down to the story there was a lady this is not her real name um i'll give you some stories from a conversation with this lady but there was a lady named Joyce that's not her real name but they're using it in this story and she said that there was another lady named Mary not her real name that was a Satanist that was supposed to be training her on how to infiltrate churches so this is the background here so this lady Joyce had come out of Satan she gave her life to Jesus and she was telling her friend here about another lady that was training her how to infiltrate churches that was her specialty okay so let me just read this she said i went to one of the several special training camps for witches on how to infiltrate and destroy churches it was even this particular one was even taught by a well-known person that was on television and the lady she's telling this to says well i'm not surprised paul wrote that satan's servants would even reach positions of leadership within churches he told the ephesian elders that from among them the church leaders would be ravening wolves to destroy the sheep and that's acts 20 verse 30 but tell me this lady was asking joyce what did mary teach you and she began to laugh and say well i'll never forget the first time mary commanded me to come to a certain city where there was a big evangelistic crusade that was being helped by a particular denomination mary instructed me to wear long sleeves and a long skirt and to have long hair and she said i had to get extensions and to dress very sedate and she said i felt like i looked terrible but she said of course my ideas about clothing have changed since i came to know jesus anyway I was there to meet Mary at her hotel room and she when I got there she said um, Mary knew some of the top people involved in the crusade and was there to make sure that everything was going to go according to plan when I arrived at a room I thought I'd done a pretty good job with my clothing I'd never been to this denomination before but when Mary opened the door she looked at me and grabbed me by the arm and said get in here and she said man she says she began to take some uh a wash rag and wipe off every bit of makeup off me she said I thought I looked horrible but Mary said you have to look the part if you dress and you act like they do that nobody will question you if you're a Christian or not and Joyce said you know she was right we went to the meetings and we could move freely throughout there and nobody ever questioned if we were a Christian at all it was during that weekend that Mary taught me about uh, more about the slaying in the spirit which of course we know that God moves in that way and people fall under the power but the devil has his counterfeit too right 
she told me because they were okay here was the point that mary was making the bible says to not lay hands suddenly on people in other words there's supposed to be a screening about who's laying hands on you and who's not and James 5.14 says to have the elders lay hands, to anoint with oil in the prayer of faith. There needs to be some kind of screening here. And Mary was teaching Joyce because they were ignoring the scriptures and they were living in disobedience to the Bible. To just let anybody pray for them and that whenever they would come up to somebody, if that person bowed their head and you know was like i receive what you're doing i receive what you give me she said that they're living in disobedience to the bible and she said they're open for what we're going to give them and she understood that and this is what this lady was saying that um well let me just read it i'll read what they have here mary understood that people knelt before us or bowed their heads they were submitting themselves and accepting what we gave them and they thought that we were christians but this gave us a legal right to put demons in their life they also directly opened the door by allowing themselves to black out and not even test the spirits and mary showed me some incantations to do so when they had their hands up she said now this i'm sorry i'm having to read this and i know this is creepy but this is it goes on man you know don't you want somebody to tell it like it is man i tell you it irritates me i've never heard one sermon preached on stuff like this my whole life anyway so she would go up to people that were like this and she was doing some weird incantation by slapping their hands and then their head and going up like this and she was making the sign of an upside down cross and they thought that it was all god and they was just receiving whatever they gave them and people were collapsing and she said they were putting demonic spirits in them that had to do with false tongues and divination and other things and she said i'm horrified now to look back at the number of people that we did this to they were so eager and willing to just accept anything. Anyway, you know, she said, Mary was very useful to the devil because she was willing to study the Bible and find out where Christians were living disobediently to the Bible. And she could find a way to successfully attack them because they were living contrary to the scripture and it gave the enemy like a legal right to do it now how many knows if you if there's a witch comes up to you and they say i'm gonna pray for you and you bow your head and say yeah i receive it you're opening yourself up to what they give you and not everybody out there that's praying for people you need what they got even if they're not a witch there's christians out there that are deeply struggling in bondage to certain things and they do not need to be praying for people maybe the night before they were struggling with all kinds of pornography and lust and sexual sins and then they're going to go the next day and just pray for people you know what is really being transferred and that was one of the things i really appreciated about brownsville and some other places is that there was a, a vetting process there was a screening and it was a safe place and that's why in river of life that's why we have that here too is we want to make sure it's a safe place for people i don't understand it and i'm not being critical and i'm not saying it to be mean but to this day i see frequently where there's large gatherings and it's just anybody can pray for anybody a lot of times they'll say well the people around you just lay hands on this person and i just don't think it's wisdom is anybody hearing me today 
I just don't think that it's wisdom. Maybe the people around them are very godly people. I hope so. And probably most of them are. But some of them may not be. And in these meetings, it becomes that it's not a safe place for Christians. It's certainly not a safe place for baby Christians. Because things can be transferred that's just simply not of God. And so anyway, I wanted to preach that tonight just to show you that the Bible teaches us to have a screening. It says to not be suddenly, and that can be translated like flippant about the laying on of hands. Paul understood that that's a very powerful thing. You didn't need to just go around flippantly doing that. There needed to be people that were ready to operate in that way, and they also have proven character. They're living a pure life. And also the Bible teaches us to not just blindly accept everybody that shows up to church as being a Christian. Jesus said that you will know people by their fruit. And people should not be able to worm their way into positions of leadership like that. The Bible says to know those that labor among you. And the word know implies intimate knowledge, not a casual acquaintance. So before somebody ends up in an eldership position or in some kind of teaching a class or working the altars, they need to be somebody that you get to know them. You look at the fruit in their life. Are they really a Christian? And if they are, do they live the life? And I believe this is a serious problem. I've seen it a lot of places. You know, people, they may have a need somewhere on the worship team. Maybe they need a keyboard player or something. And somebody will just show up to church and they, their life is nothing like what it needs to be. But they play the keyboard. So they're thrown up there. And there they are. And uh, they, need, they need somebody over here in this area. And they show up. And, then, and I saw that actually. I say just from personal experience. There was a church that I was a part of that grew really quickly. Kind of like what they were talking about. And they needed positions to fill. And the problem is that they just began to put people in positions they didn't really know. And let me tell you, it backfired. It caused a lot of problems and a lot of hurt people. There was people in positions that had no business being there. So there needs to be a vetting process. All right. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for what you're doing. And Lord, that here in River of Life, and I believe everybody's in agreement, we want this to be a safe place. Lord, we humble ourselves and say we're going to honor your word. We're going to get to know people. We're not going to quickly just throw people into leadership positions, but we're going to examine them. And Lord, also, we're not just going to let just anybody laying hands on anybody. There's going to be a screening process. And Lord, we're going to humble ourselves and just honor your word, and we're not going to be moving boundary stones set up by our fathers in the faith, but Lord, we're going to honor their godly convictions of those that's gone on before us and the sound doctrine of our fathers in the faith. And that's going to be sustained here. And Lord, we love you tonight. And I thank you for this word getting out and doing what it needs to do in every life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you guys would say, and this grieves me, but how many of you guys would say honestly and humbly that outside of River of Life, you have never heard that preached once? I would say it too. Why in the world is this not being preached? Some people say, well, it'll scare the sheep. Well, you know, 
maybe people just need to to have some scriptural knowledge not to live in fear but just to not blindly accept and swallow everything that's out there too you know and um i've talked about these things before and caught some flack but it's the bible and i'm not going to back up from preaching the word even if some people don't like it all right thank you all for praying for me tonight as i tell you the devil does not like this type of sermon and i felt today some resistance but when i got up here i felt the anointing just come and it was just god did it amen so thank the lord all right we're gonna pray for people here in a moment let's just wait on the lord you can maybe play that ipod for a few minutes it'd be fine let's just wait on the lord where you're at just begin to worship him for a few minutes lord we ask you to come confirm your word here in river of life lord this is a time through this doctrines of demons series lord where you've been teaching us to examine things in a healthy way a humble way a teachable way but to examine things examine teaching test the spirits test prophecy just make sure things are of god and lord we humble ourselves and we want to do that I personally believe that's one of the reasons why God has had to keep things kind of smaller in number for a time. That will change. But just from my experience, when things grow, the devil tries to throw a few tears in among the wheat. And you got to let God get those tears out. And God needed like a, a sincere group of people that would really seek him in prayer and things would be very biblical and they would be right and through that God could bring a, some kind of a breakthrough a move of his spirit and that move would open up the harvest and would open things up and I believe that that's coming I really do but he, he had to keep it smaller in number so that it could be what it needs to be because even with the smaller numbers I've still had to deal about four significant times with divisive people even with the number small but God has been preparing us and I'm telling you that I've been with God this last week and I'm telling you by the spirit you can write this down take it to the bank I've heard from God that there has been a transition in the heavenlies this week this has been a significant week and angels are being sent they're coming I don't know when they're gonna get here but angels are coming to bring breakthrough it's coming pray into it pray for that ask God Lord do it do it you know I'm telling you that it is his will it is coming it's coming and God's gonna break things open but when things break open and we begin to grow I'm not gonna just blindly accept the fact that everybody that comes to those doors is of God Not everybody's going to be going through laying hands on everybody. Not everybody's going to be in leadership. I'm going to get to know them. And I know y'all support me with this. But there's some times that things go on behind the scenes that y'all don't know about. And I'm not going to get up and air people's dirty laundry up publicly like that. I don't do that. But sometimes if I have to deal with somebody, they're going to get ticked. And um, I need y'all's support in those times. I've had that happen now a couple times. <laughs> My wife says... Amen. 
but I've had to deal with some things. But we need y'all's support when that comes, okay? God's going to break this thing open and we're going to grow, but we have to do it healthy. We have to do it biblical.